the 2012 Daytona 500 wasn't the best 500 by any stretch of the imagination. It was rained out on the Sunday where it was supposed to occur and was pushed back to Monday evening. And as usual, there were quite a few cautions in this race. After 157 of the 200 laps, the engine in David Stremme's number 30 Toyota failed, causing a caution flag to allow NASCAR officials time to clear the track of oil and debris. It was under this caution that a driver told his crew he was feeling a vibration in the car. As this driver pulled into the pits, his crew inspected the car, found nothing wrong, and sent the driver back out onto the track. Because all the other drivers had already pitted, this driver was allowed to run above the caution lap speed to catch back up to the pace car. His car was traveling around 180 miles per hour when something went wrong. What happened in the next few seconds changed the perception of driver Juan Pablo Montoya in many fans' eyes forever. Sure, he'd won a couple of races in NASCAR, but that's about all he'd ever done in the sport. To many NASCAR fans, JPM was more like J-A-G, just a guy. And that's sad, because the reality is this. The guy some NASCAR fans pointed and laughed at remains one of the best pure driving talents the world has ever seen. Today on Stagger, we're going to explain why you're wrong about Juan Pablo Montoya. Turns of loose coming into the front stretch. Tommy changed the entire throttle system last night, the night before a race. But, oh, he can't do that. But we want to thank you tonight for these mighty machines that you brought before. Welcome to Stagger. I'm J.D. Smith, and along with my brother Derek Smith, we are so glad to have you on board this week. As always, we appreciate all the interaction on our social media channels, at Stagger Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. That's the best way to reach out to us. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, by all means, any type of sharing that you do on Twitter is very welcome. Retweet one of our episode tweets that lets people know where the show is, how they can listen to it. That helps us out quite a bit. And if you're really feeling racy, you can always go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That helps other people find this show as well. Now, this week on the podcast, we're going to do something a little different. There's a podcast that I personally enjoy called You're Wrong About. Uh, it's a great podcast. It's very informative on a lot of things regarding history, pop culture. Uh, they recently did an episode about the woman who sued McDonald's over the hot coffee that spilled in her lap and why you're wrong about that situation. I highly recommend it. The hosts, Michael Hobbs and Sarah Marshall are tremendous. So please give them a listen and check them out if you like correcting wrong things because they're great at it. But in any event, I was definitely influenced by that premise when I started thinking about this driver. Juan Pablo Montoya is a guy who gets a lot of shtick in NASCAR and around the racing world for running into the jet dryer at Daytona in 2012. Just Google jet dryer at Daytona. It'll come right up. You'll be able to see exactly what I'm talking about. We'll talk about that more in this episode today. But in an homage to the podcast that I mentioned, we're going to tell you why you're wrong about Juan Pablo Montoya. My brother Derek Smith joins me. Derek, are you cool with that? Yeah, it sounds great. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, let's get started talking about Juan Pablo Montoya. First of all, he's one of only three drivers to ever win a race in sports cars IndyCar, NASCAR, and Formula One. Can you name the other two drivers other than him that have done that? Am I on the right track with Mario Andretti? Yes. The second one's a little tougher. It's uh, Dan Gurney, who is also an American racing legend, by the way. Mm. Yeah. 
Mario Andretti, Dan Gurney, and Juan Pablo Montoya. Those are the guys. Is, is there one more you said? No, that's it. That's Those are the three. Oh, that's it, okay. The only three uh, guys to ever win races in IndyCar, NASCAR, and F1. And I threw in sports cars because all three of them yeah. won in that too. But I got, Yeah, I was going to say, if that was the case, I was going to say Graham Hill, father well, of Timmy Hill. Timmy Hill but. <laughs> Not the father of Timmy Hill. But and Graham Hill is, is an answer to my next question. Do you know the only person to complete the triple crown of motorsports, which is winning Le Mans, winning the Indy 500, and winning at Monaco? You've got it. It's Graham Hill. He's the only one who's ever done all three. They call that the triple crown of motorsports. But Juan Pablo Montoya is one of the 13 drivers who have completed two of those feats. And he just needs to add the third. Nice. So he's actually one of the only drivers that's still alive and or currently racing that would Mm -hmm. have a shot at completing the triple crown, theoretically. So... Um, he'd have to get into a number one ride in the 24 hours. This would be the overall win at Le Mans, but not out of the possibility that that could still happen. It's I guess. not. I mean, he could he could totally pull it off if they wanted. He to. still does run the 24. He ran it this year. Um, he mm-hmm. ran for Dragon Sport, but that was in the LMP2 classification. So he's got to win the overall is what you're saying. Yes, he would have to be in an overall winner. But that's I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility for him because he obviously is still a no. tremendous driver. I was thinking about this before we go any further. What should the triple crown of like motorsports be? Do we like it that it's Le Mans, Indy 500 and Monaco? Would you want to change one of those out? Like, would you want to change out Monaco for something else or? Yeah, I would. What would you put in there or which race would you remove and which one would you add? So if we're going Le Mans, Indy and Monaco, right? Yeah. See, this is what this is going to give you a lot of fire and flack probably more of a silverstone guy than i am a uh monaco guy but i know why monaco has the allure it's the the pageantry it's (laughs) i would say i was oh i was gonna make the worst analogy ever it's like saint pete you know everyone looks forward to it oh it's a beautiful city (laughs) it's like oh gosh yeah saint pete for the indycar series is the yeah yeah, saint pete is the monaco of indycar is that what i would would probably say long beach is the monaco of indycar okay that's much better but, you know, I like the new F1. I like how every week there is a contender that can come into, yes, it can sometimes takes a few people reckon out for, you know, a Daniel Ricardo to win or a, a Esteban Ocon to win. But I do like the unpredictability of the podium now. And I think that that just shows the number of, you know, high talent that that series has. And I guess Monaco really just kind of takes that down to where you're you're there watching – essentially a three hour long live drive to survive pretty much. I mean, that's or two hour long with the presentation, whatever you're, you're just watching the pageantry. Who's going to, who's going to, you know, wreck in the first few corners. And then once they get the DRS gap, it's pretty much lights out and you're just looking at the yachts and all the people and all the, you know, the mountain and the terrain and the tunnel. And it's a beautiful course. Don't get me wrong. But racing-wise, I'd rather watch probably Silverstone or Spa. I'll tell you what. When the people from Formula One call and they're like, we're granting your wish and you can go to any one race in the world, I will gladly take your place on the Monaco trip and you can give away, you can have my place on the Silverstone trip. I'll go trip. to rainy, bold, <laughs> rainy Belgium. That's what I'll do. You go to Spa. There you go. I'll go to Spa. Um, what would it, do- it, it does include a Spa, right? <laughs> not- I would hope so. No. Every hotel in Spa... It- it actually As includes a spa. spa. Yeah. So I was thinking about the American Triple Crown of Motorsports, if we were going to make one of those. 
-hmm. I think that's easy. That's Rolex 24, Indy 500, Daytona 500, which also Juan Pablo Montoya has won two out of those three for whatever it's worth. Mm -hmm. AJ Foyt is the only one I could find who did all three of those. But there are lots of guys who've done two out of three, like Alexander Rossi, Elio Castroneves, Scott Dixon, Jeff Gordon, Tony Kanaan, Jamie McMurray. I had almost forgotten. I don't think he's going to hit an Indy 500, but he did win a Rolex 24 and a Daytona 500. Al Unser Sr. and Jr., Bobby Rahal, Mario Andretti. So again, like by any measure, though, of what I'm giving you, the names I'm throwing out here, Juan Pablo Montoya, I don't think always gets dropped in with those names, but he should be, in my opinion. He should be. So I think I think he should because he's done quite a bit that we sometimes forget. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about what he's done and where he came from. We'll start off the very beginning. So he was born uh, September 20th, 1975 in Bogota, Colombia. His father, Pablo, was a big fan of motor racing. And early on, Juan Pablo Montoya was given a chance to do that. So he got into karting at the age of four. And by the age of six, he was a national karting champion. He actually, oh, <laughs> in, in his age group, obviously, I don't think he was beating like adults, but 31 year old going that one, Pablo Montoya, <laughs> six year olds He's... kicking my ass. Damn. Let's make a rule about that. He won the national karting championship, <laughs> apparently in Colombia from 1981 to 1984. He also started racing professionally as, you know, like a grown or, you know, teenager in like 19 grown ass man, <laughs> grown ass man in 1992. He attended the Skip Barber Driving School in the U.S. and was instantly regarded as one of the best students the school had ever seen. He then wow. went back to Columbia and started formula racing that year in the Renault series. In 1997, Juan Pablo Montoya signed on to work with RSM Marco, the Formula 3000 team. And then after that, he tested for Williams F1 while he continued to run in the F3000 series. But in 1999, that's where he kind of hit the mainstream scene where everyone got a look at him. That is when he became a driver in the kart series. And he drove for Chip wow. Ganassi Racing in the red target livery, which I know you and I both love. What happened when Juan Pablo Montoya got to the kart series in 1999? He, mm. he in his rookie year, won the championship. That, that's all yeah that, that's all. that little thing showed up as a champion i think he was 24 years old at this point and won the championship he tied with dario franchiti on points but the tiebreaker was race wins and juan pablo montoya won seven wins in his rookie campaign in 1999 dario franchiti only had three victories so the tiebreaker went to juan pablo montoya paul tracy who is dario franchiti's teammate in the cool green machines which are also great looking cars. Um, I we need to do a show on old '90s IRL and cart <laughs> liveries. I mean, they're yeah. fantastic. But uh, Paul Tracy finished third that year, for what it's worth. So, I mean, this dude just rolls in, runs with Chip Ganassi, who Chip Ganassi had a very good team at that point. Chip Ganassi now has obviously grown his organization quite substantially, and it's not like they were bad back then. They obviously had championship equipment, but. He got right in it and was like, yeah, I'm good, and just won a championship. So he got the Rookie of the Year trophy and the championship trophy. Then in the year 2000, he was still driving for Chip Ganassi, and this was, of course, like I said, in CART. So at the time, CART was split apart from the Indy Racing League, which 
that is a very complicated story, which deserves more time at some point yeah. in the future. But the long and short of it is this. For those who have no idea about how that time was, CART, that series was owned by many of the team owners, Penske, Ray Hall, Andretti, Chip Ganassi, and a lot of those guys are still in the sport today, right? IRL mm -hmm. was owned by the George family who owned IMS. And the long and short of it is the IRL basically said, we are IndyCar, we're the Indy Racing League, that's what IRL stood for, and we have the Indy 500, and anyone who wants to run the Indy 500 has to run in our series. And so the cart guys were like, well, screw you, we don't like that. We don't like you. We're going to go form our own thing, and the people want to see the drivers, and they want to see, you know, the best talent. So cart's selling point was, we have the best talent, we have all the cars you recognize, we have all the people you've heard of. IRL was like, we have the Indy 500. So that right. was their kind of basis for existing. So out of protest, the Cart League tried to counter-program against the Indy 500, and they had a race at Michigan on Memorial Day weekend. And so for, for a few years, I think it was the U.S. 500. Do you remember that? Yep, I do remember that. Yeah. Yep, you're right. So none of the big-name drivers, which, of course, like I said, were all in Cart, were able to compete at Indy for a few years. So that's why when you go look and see some of the names who won Indy in the late 90s, you're like, well, I never heard of these guys. That was exactly what a lot of the people at the time thought, too, who were watching it. They're like, I don't want to watch the Indy 500. It doesn't have the same appeal. But Chip yeah. Ganassi basically petitioned CART in the year 2000, prior to the year 2000. He said, hey, can we keep Memorial Day open so that if I want to, I can take my drivers to Indy? Now, that meant he would have to build a completely separate car. They had different yep. engine packages. They had different everything. But he decided to go ahead and do that. And they obliged and did not put a race on the Memorial Day weekend. So any other drivers who wanted to could go be in the Indy 500. Well, in 2000, Juan Pablo Montoya went to the Indy 500 as a rookie, as an outsider. And it's him and Jimmy Vassar, the only two cart guys that were on the grid that year. And it cost a million dollars per car to get an entry ready. So just <laughs> to put this in to put this in perspective, the entire cart television deal around that time that ESPN, I think, was paying for was roughly five million dollars for the Jeez. entire for the entire series. What they were getting for their TV deal was five million dollars. And Chip Ganassi was fronting a million dollars for his Indy 500 program, separate from oh. what he was doing for his entire cart program. So, oh of course. Gosh. You can see why a lot of drivers or a lot of owners at the time were like, yeah, I'm not putting up a million dollars. We barely make any money with this TV package. We're not. No, right. we're not doing that. Well, mm -hmm. Juan Pablo Montoya ran the Indy 500 his first time ever in the year 2000. All he did was lead 167 laps and become <laughs> the first rookie driver ever to win at Indy in the 500. The only other man who's ever won the Indy 500 in his rookie campaign was... Graham Hill, who you mentioned earlier, uh -huh. man, I mean, see, I was right. Yeah. But like, just think Got about it. like, again, there's only one other guy that's ever done it. I mean, and, and that guy is a complete legend. So I know it's like, it's the just super tough to win at Indy and people just think like, it's like, oh, when are you going to get your Indy 500? I mean, look at Tony Kanaan. He, it almost made his career. What well, didn't, it did make his career, yeah. but like, I think the pressure's been off since he's got it. He's like, well, well I'm an sure. Indy 500 champ. Like, 
I'm going to try to win it again for sure. But well, I'm just ask, gonna... ask the Andretti family how easy it is to win an Indy, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, this feat is so impressive that he shows up. He doesn't run a ton of oval stuff anyway. And he just rolls in there and bang, Indy 500 champion like it's nothing in a one-off, you mm. know, not in like a car that has... I know everyone's building one-off cars for Indy, but you know what I mean? He's not in right. the series that actually runs this. So the engine package is all kind of new to him. Everything about the car is slightly different. Didn't matter. He just got out there and dominated the race. One of the most dominant performances they've ever. Yeah. So he ran the race in 2000. He won the Indy 500. And then he didn't run the Indy 500 again until 2014. And why is that? Because after the year 2000, Juan Pablo Montoya went to Formula One. We'll take a break and come back and tell you how it went when Juan Pablo Montoya went to Formula One. Welcome back to Stagger. Indy 500 champion Juan Pablo Montoya is the hottest driver in the sport. Everyone is talking about this guy. And Formula One takes notice. So he ends up moving to Williams in 2001. He joins with Williams after leaving Ganassi to go to Formula One. Now, I think this is interesting because I was always wondering and I've, you know, because we don't see a ton of IndyCar guys go from IndyCar right up to Formula One. We have seen a lot of Formula One guys come back to Indy, you know, into mm -hmm. IndyCar racing because it's like Formula Sato and... Takuma Sato's one. Obviously, Romain Grosjean has just done this. So what was it like to move from IndyCar to F1? I found this handy comparison because, you know, both of these series, they don't really like to compare themselves to each other. I think more on the IndyCar side because they just wanted the, the series to stand alone. They're not trying to get into like a war of which one's better. But in 2002, there was a rare occurrence where both series were running the Circuit Villeneuve in Montreal. Within, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve, Yes, right? yep. They were running that within a month of each other. Juan Pablo Montoya, in 2002, with Williams, won the pole position for the Formula One race. His pole position lap time was a minute 12.836. The slowest lap of the day in qualifying was Alex Jung's 117.34. That is Got that. the slowest F1 time, 117. Several weeks later... Cristiano D'Amata won the pole position in a champ car cart race with a lap time of 118.959. So, so Juan Pablo Montoya's pole position in F1 car at the time was six seconds quicker per lap than the pole position for the basically the Indy cars of the time. And the That's slowest the slowest guy in Formula One was still faster than the pole position. That's wild. I, I was half hoping or half thinking that maybe you might shock us and tell us that IndyCar was, you know, a half second behind the, the fastest lap or something. No, I, I, I sadly expected that's what it was going to be. And unfortunately, um, I was right. F1 <laughs> yeah, was way, way faster than IndyCar and, and, and Chip Car at the time. Yeah, and it's important to note that was obviously within a few weeks of each other on the same track because mm -hmm. it wouldn't be fair to compare like, well, three years beforehand, this, you know, series was there. Right. And then, you know, because that's really comparing apples to oranges. Well, who, those who two laid the, cars who laid the rubber down for who? I think that's what 
you know, a good old <laughs> apologist would say yeah. for a racing yeah, apologist. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You they know? made the track slower somehow. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so in 2000, who's your rubber man? Yeah, that's right. So in 2001, one? Oh, it's 2001. The year, the year of Juan Pablo Montoya. I think we just got the uh, the <laughs> title of the episode. Yeah, probably two, not, but two, we'll see. 2001. 2001. <laughs> uh, in 2001, Juan Pablo Montoya moved over to drive for Williams in Formula One. Now, you have to remember at this time, Williams was much different than the Williams of recent vintage. This was when Williams had the BMW engines. This was the mm. V10 Screamer engine era where, I mean, they were just. I can't I can't do it because my voice is still. <laughs> that sounded from... that's yeah, that sounded more like, sounded like uh, an eagle dying. No, well, it did. It also sounded like someone doing bad Star Wars sound effects. The BMW engines at the time were allegedly producing 100 more horsepower than their competitors, and they were lighter as well. But they had a propensity of breaking down, go figure, because they were more powerful and lighter, so they were right on the edge. Also, from an aero standpoint, the cars that Williams was building weren't quite up to standard with their competitors. So there was, it's not like Williams had cars that were dominant. They had cars that were extremely competitive for the time. This is very mm. good equipment that Juan Pablo Montoya is getting into. And we know that's half the battle. When you go to Formula One, right. if you get in bad equipment, you can be the best driver in the world. It's going to be really tough to consistently compete. His cars were ahead of most, but not ahead of Ferrari at the time. Ferrari was still like the constructors Ferrari. champions. Yep, they were still the best. And at the time, McLaren Mercedes was the partnership and that was where Williams was kind of right there with McLaren as far as their competitive levels. So they were the second tier. You know, they were just mm. behind Ferrari. So it starts with Williams. The talent is clearly there. And he gets off to a pretty good start. He gets some victories under his belt. In 2002, they ran third. And he, at that point, has become considered one of the best drivers in the sport. So, I mean, you know, you run third in the championship points in Formula One, you're a, you're yes. a world-class driver. There's no doubting that you're extremely good. Right. Super talented. Yeah. In August of 2003, Williams acknowledges that they already are aware that Juan Pablo Montoya is getting offered to leave and go to McLaren. And supposedly... Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, supposedly at this time, Juan Pablo Montoya was on a $2.5 million salary. Ralph Schumacher, who is teammate and brother to Michael Schumacher, who we will talk about more in a second. Ralph Schumacher is the other driver at Williams. He's making $12 million at the time. So Juan Pablo Montoya is making $2.5 million. His teammate's making $12 million. He's like, GTFO. There's no way. Yeah. This, this is not right. You're the second driver, but you're winning everything. Well, yeah, it was kind of weird because Ralph Schumacher would out-qualify him. Juan Pablo Montoya had a lot of checkers or wreckers in him. Uh, he did win more than Ralph Schumacher did, but Ralph Schumacher would qualify a little better and have a little bit more consistent finishing. So I think that was a little bit part of it. And also, I mean, you know, it's part of racing royalties. Michael Schumacher's brother, uh, Clearly, they thought there was something involved with getting Ralph Schumacher and giving him that type of cash. He was apparently in some demand as well. But I would assume it's not comfortable when you know you're making 
six times less than the guy you're driving next to and you feel like you're as right. good as he is. By 2003, Schumacher's qualifying the Williams, like I said, a little better than Juan Pablo, but Juan Pablo Montoya was seen as the better raw talent. As it turned out, McLaren did get a deal done for Juan Pablo Montoya in the summer of 2003 when the rumors started flying, but he wouldn't be let out of his contract until it ended in 2004. So he was still going to be under contract for 18 months. Mm. But think about that. You're, you're under contract for 18 months knowing you're pouring your guts out as a driver for a team that you're not going to be a part of anymore. And Juan Pablo Montoya said in hindsight... His last few months at Williams were some of the most fun because there was no pressure. They were right. built, they were building a new car, as most of these constructors were. They weren't telling him anything about the testing because they knew he was going to McLaren. So he wasn't involved in any testing of that. He wasn't right. involved he in probably didn't have to do any meetings. No, he probably just had to show up with show his up helmet. Race. Yeah, and he said he really enjoyed the his dream. time. Yeah, of course. And of course, he's, getting, he's still getting paid millions of dollars to drive a race car. So right, but not, not good. tons of millions. Not the millions he would like, right. A um, couple. Yeah, yeah. So in 2005, oh, and I forgot to mention, his first win was in September of 2001 at Monza. I didn't say that, but like he won in his first year right off the bat. Not not the first race he was in, but he was up there early on in there, his career. Yeah. And he did another thing in his rookie season that also got him quite a bit of attention, which we'll talk more about in a second. But Did he you, hit a jet dryer at Monza? <laughs> I don't Sorry. Think they, <laughs> I don't think they have those. Soccer. That's, 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 <laughs> that's French. French. That would not be it's Italian. They'd be like, ciao. You hit our jet dryer, ciao. In 2005, he officially made the move to McLaren. Four of the races he won, by the way, because he won a bunch of races. He won two each at Interlagos, one for McLaren and one for Williams. That's Brazil, in case for those yeah. of you who aren't aware. And then he won two races at Monza, one for McLaren and one for Williams. So I think that's kind of interesting that he won at those two tracks in different cars in different years, but was still able to get the job done there. You know what I mean? Like that speaks yeah. to me like he he clearly liked racing at those tracks, but also he won at those tracks with different. So the car's different, but the track's the same and the driver's the same tells you that it's not the car, right? At some level, right. like it was good equipment, but you also had to be able to wheel that good equipment. So he right. winning. And I think that's a telling thing too, with him that he won at the same tracks in multiple cars. So he knew how to get the job done. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. Like he is one of the most versatile drivers that I've ever seen drive a car. And he's always a contender to win no matter where he's at. And no matter what his equipment is, like, you have to understand, like, he is a threat to win. Also, it's worth noting that he won with BMW engines at Williams and Mercedes engines at McLaren. So hmm. he'd be the perfect guy to ask, like, hey, what do you think? BMW or Mercedes? And then he's probably like Audi. <laughs> <laughs> I like Audi. Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just something completely well, off the wall. Did I, ever, did I ever tell you about the exclusive interview I had with Juan Pablo Montoya? Uh, I don't know that you did. Tell me about it. I did, yeah. So back in the day, I used to have my own racing website. I was at the Roar before the 24, and I had reached out to uh, his PR person who was like, yeah, well, you just have to go see him because it's, you know, the testing, there's just, you know, media and drivers. is before they started marketing it as an event, per se. So I hang out, wait till he's not driving, but he's at the pit box. They shut the engine off. They start to, you know, do the crew thing where they're going to like push it back to the garage. I see him walking down. We walk about 15 steps, you know, 
within a close distance. Like he's not slowing down. I'm not slowing down or he's not speeding up. I'm not speeding up. We're just walking back to a common area that we all have to go to this pinch point. Right. And so I just said, I look over my shoulder. I look at him. And I'm just like, all right, it's now or never. I was like, Hey, Juan Pablo, how you doing, sir? He goes, Oh, good. I was like, can you do an interview real quick? A, a one minute interview. He's like, what? I'm like an interview. Can you do a one minute interview interview? Nah. And that was all recorded. And I was like, well, you just did. Ha. Gotcha. That's that's the most terrible way to interview someone in the world. Guy, you know, I, I, I have I'm a clip glad, of I'm him. He, I'm glad he told you no. I have Honestly. a clip of him saying interview. Nah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I would say, too. Don't yeah, I know. Me. I know. I know. Oh, I need to find that recorder because I, I had a one on one with Jimmy Johnson. Yes, that so Jimmy did Johnson. Did you jump Jimmy Johnson in like the men's I jumped. I jumped Jimmy Johnson. You know what I asked him? What'd you ask? If there's an initiation for Casey Mears. Like, do they have to take him to Lake Lloyd? And like dump dunk him or anything like that for being a first year team member. He's like, no, nah, we don't do that in NASCAR. It's not really our thing. But he was still pretty cool about it. Yeah, man, you just <laughs> I, I just man, you're I, like you should have worked for TMZ. I don't know why you're working I, for me. I got ma- I got married at 20 years old, man. I that's a good thing because I'd have been out there probably like, <laughs> hey, shoot my shot, Jennifer Aniston. Why not? Oh, let's geez. go. What's the worst that could happen, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, she said no. Okay, yeah, cool. Where's worst, Courtney Cox? Yeah. <laughs> You know, wow. I mean, Phoebe's going to say so yes were, at some were, point, right? You were a friends guy, I guess. You were. No, I was not a friends guy. I was just trying to be relative to the time when I was 20 years old. Like, <laughs> who were the attractive, quote-unquote, attractive women back then? That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Okay, sure. So I, I'm not a Jennifer Aniston guy, nor a, nor a Courtney Cox or Phoebe. Or I'm sure they'll else. all be heartbroken to find that out. All in all, Juan Pablo Montoya won seven Grand Prix races in 94 starts. You ever heard of this guy named Daniel Ricardo? Yes, I have. What are your thoughts on Daniel Ricardo as a driver? Would you consider him to be like pretty good F one driver, a great F one driver? Where would you, where do you fall on Daniel? I would Ricardo? say he's I would say he's uh, above average F one driver. Okay, well that's good. Daniel Ricardo has won seven Grand Prix as of September of twenty twenty one, including as we're recording this, he just won at Monza in a pretty crazy race. That was his seventh one he's won in 201 F1 starts. That's Juan Pablo Montoya won seven in less than half of that time, 94 starts. So so Juan Pablo is better than Daniel Ricciardo. I, I mean, I think it's at least a worthwhile discussion, I mean, it's, it's right? A sti- it's a statistical certainty, is it not? I mean, it seems like if you just want to look at the raw numbers, that would be something. So... All in all, here's how his F1 career went. When he was with Williams BMW, 2001, he finished sixth in the points. 2002 and 2003, he finished third. 2004, remember, that's like his you know last year where he's not really a part of things. He still finished fifth. Mm. Then he went to Mercedes McLaren where he finished fourth. And in 2006, he finished eighth. But he only competed in 10 of the 18 races because he was getting ready to move on to NASCAR. But but before we go there, let's back up. Because one other thing Juan Pablo Montoya is really known for, you're familiar with Michael Schumacher. We just mentioned him earlier in the episode. But Mm -hmm. Michael Schumacher, for those who are not aware, is considered one of the greatest F1 drivers of all time. He's Lewis Hamilton before there was Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton just broke one of his records. You know, I mean, like that's that's (laughs) yeah, he's one of the most dominant drivers the sport's ever seen. Well, he got off did Juan Pablo Montoya on the wrong foot with Michael Schumacher in his third race ever 
at the Brazilian Grand Prix at Interlagos, which we said he really liked racing there. He right. made a pass on Michael Schumacher that is one of the more legendary moments in F1 <laughs> where he got really close to him, kind of pinched him a little bit, ran him a little into the grass just a smidge, but made the pass stick. And it was his third race ever, and he's going wheel-to-wheel with the greatest driver in the sport at the time. The Everyone in the sport at that point was like, okay, here's this dude. We've been hearing about him, and he challenged for the lead and had the lead in that race. And uh, do you know why he didn't win that race in his third outing ever? Why? He ran into some dude named <laughs> uh, Joss Verstappen. <laughs> <laughs> he ran into Max's dad, except he didn't do it. Max's like, dad ran into him because um, oh, he was getting lapped. Yeah, Yas was getting lapped. And so he was leading the race was Juan Pablo Montoya. Verstappen tried to pull in behind him after he got past. And then Juan Pablo Montoya slowed up to take the corner. And Joss didn't slow up and just ran over the back of his car and destroyed mm. it and destroyed him his car, too. So. That was the end of his day in Brazil, but he could have easily won his first race, three races in. I mean, it's yeah, because he's that good of a talent. And I think I think that's something that is missing with you said Ricardo had 200 something starts in F1. Yeah. Like and I'm I'm I've a McLaren jacket at home. I had Red Bull gear before when he was at Red Bull. I kind of didn't do Renault because I knew it was going to be a little bit of a stop. But Renault, my point is not Renault. Renault, Renault, <laughs> Renault. You know, good old Renault. You know, Renault. They drive out Le Mans. You know, <laughs> get some French fries. Oh, mm-hmm. get some crepes. But, um, anyways, I knew that he was going to move on to another team, and I thought maybe okay, this is the spark. And who knows? Next year, you watch. He can make me my words and win eight races, and now he's one of the greats, right? But he is above average. Yeah. And Juan Pablo Montoya, like you said, is a, has the same amount of race wins or Grand Prix wins, and he's not even half. Where, not even half. Not even half. Yeah, not even half. It's like that's a stat that I think right there should should be the determining factor of you know kind of where Juan Pablo gets seated or anything like that. Like I think that's fair. He's one of the he's one of the all time greats. Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly a, a worthy conversation to have about where he fits in. For what it's worth, he was listed. Back in 2009, Juan Pablo Montoya was listed as the 30th best F1 driver of all time by mm. a survey of fans and media and everybody else. That's where they, they made an ultimate list of who was the best, and he came in top 30. I mean, I don't know if that would happen now because there's you know more drivers that have come through, but it's still very interesting, right, that that's where he slots in. So, But he, he had this feud with Michael Schumacher that continued on in 2004 at Imola, fighting for second place. They were headed into a left-handed corner, Montoya is behind Schumacher, but coming up on the outside of him into this corner, and he definitely got a nose in front of him. Schumacher pushed him out into the grass, kept the position, and Montoya somehow in the grass did not wreck impressively. So the two of them actually ended up finishing second and third in this race to Jensen Button, who won the race. But I bring it up so you can hear the back and forth that happened afterwards. So I want to play for you a little bit of the press conference that occurred after the race. And in this press conference, you will hear them. You will hear Juan Pablo Montoya looking at the video that shows that he is clearly alongside of Michael Schumacher. And you'll hear this whole exchange and you'll see how tense it is. So let's just run this. Now, as I play it, keep in mind, Michael Schumacher and Juan Pablo Montoya are sitting at a podium 
and they are literally elbow to elbow addressing the media. They used to put the top three guys on like at a table with microphones where they weren't sitting like a couple feet apart. They're literally elbow to elbow in this. And this is the exchange that I want you guys to hear. So here we go. When you're running side by side and fighting for position around the corner, can you just clarify what you consider acceptable behavior and what's unacceptable? Well, he said he didn't see me. He thought I wasn't there. So I don't know. Forgot to look. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Michael? Yeah. I mean, I saw his attack on, on the outside at breaking, but then going around the corner, for me, it was... I, first of all, I didn't see him, but second, outside around the corner, you usually lose ground, so I didn't really expect him to be there anymore. Now they see the onboard camera. Oh, no, he didn't see me there. Well, no, no. <laughs> no chance. You know, you got to either be blind or stupid to not see me, but, you know, it's racing. <laughs> so, so Juan Pablo Montoya says, you either have to be blind or stupid not to see me. And again, I want to remind you, Michael Schumacher is sitting uncomfortably close right to him. him. Like, right, right next him. to him. So... He does not care at all. No, and that's the other thing is he's kind of known like you experienced when you went up to him and asked for an interview, and he's like, interview? Nah. Like, like he's not going to mince words. He's not going to hold back on how he feels. He's going to let you know. He thinks this is stupid or he doesn't like right. it or whatever. And But also, he wasn't afraid to mix it up with a guy that was kind of revered as like, oh, you don't want to mess with Michael Schumacher. He was like, I will mess with Michael Schumacher. I, I do not care. I will mess with who I want to mess with because I am Juan Pablo Montoya. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of respect that. And I mean, I, I love the confidence that he brings. So uh, anyway, that was his MO, just constantly getting into it with the best driver the sport's ever seen. There's there's videos on YouTube you can find of their rivalry that shows all the different times they kind of were at each other's throats on the track. Not not like screaming and yelling or anything, just racing each other hard. It was a great rivalry in F1. So I think mm. it's, you know, we, we all know who Michael Schumacher is and people talk. If you say it to a non-F1 fan, but they know racing, they'll say, oh, yeah, Michael Schumacher, one of the best F1 drivers of all time. You say, what about Juan right. Pablo Montoya? And they'll be like, ah, I don't know. Who's that? Or, or he's a, was that the NASCAR guy? Like, it's just he's not mentioned in the same way. And obviously... Michael Schumacher won 10 times the races that Juan Pablo did, but he also had a much longer career and yeah. it was in slightly better equipment. Anyway, the point is Juan Pablo Montoya better than you thought when it came to F1. Then Juan Pablo Montoya goes to NASCAR. And why did he do that? Well, I will actually let him tell you why he did that. He said about McLaren, quote, the team had an option on me in December of 2005 for 2007. And they didn't take it. They said they wanted to wait a little bit more. We knew Fernando Alonso was coming in. We knew Kimi Raikkonen was leaving. You have an option on me, and you're saying you want to take a little bit more time? I was more of the theory you either want me or you don't. If I'm not worth enough to be there, then I might as well do something else. A lot of things came together, and the opportunity to race with Chip Ganassi in America came on board. I wanted to be an F1 for winning. I didn't want to just fill the grid. There were really no good opportunities. Do I have regrets about leaving F1? I think about it. I was going to be 31 that year, and everyone was retiring at about 35. Whoever I was going to sign with, it was probably going to be my last contract. So to sign with somebody for your last contract with a team that you don't think is going to win, the atmosphere was tough enough to be there when you're winning. So he didn't really mm. have any interest in hanging around and just, yeah, I guess I'll just go around and complete laps. So 
I, I think that's that's reasonable. I mean, I think it is. It's there's fair. a lot of guys that could have added. You know, he could have added dozens and dozens of races to his career, and maybe mm-hmm. even gotten a podium or two or something out of it. But he just said, "No, why would I do that? I want to be the best. I want to try to be the best." So he ends up going to NASCAR in 2007. Do you remember what debuted in NASCAR in 2007? Was that that old stinky car tomorrow? Sorry, Roger Carruth. I know you like it, but is that the one? <laughs> that was the car of tomorrow debuted in 2007, as we have covered go. in a previous episode. Go check out the car of tomorrow episode that we did a few episodes back. You can go find that wherever you're getting this podcast. Just scroll down a little further and you'll see car of tomorrow. Shout out to Roger Carruth, who's joined us for one of those episodes. Yep. NASCAR driver up and coming. NASCAR be- Xfinity driver. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So... In, in this whole deal, obviously, Juan Pablo Montoya had a previous relationship with Chip Ganassi. Chip Ganassi had a NASCAR team. So after really trying to, you know, figure out what the best solution was, he ended up going to NASCAR and giving that a shot. The year that I want to focus on with his career in NASCAR is 2009. Do you remember how well he did in 2009 in mm. NASCAR? No. All right. Well, let me tell you. At the time, they had the chase for the Sprint Cup. That's what it was called Mm -hmm. back then, the championship trophy. Uh, To make the chase, currently in NASCAR, there's 16 drivers that make the chase. At this time, they only took 12 drivers. He was one of those 12. He did make the chase. And his last 10 races of the season were pretty great. He started off on the pole at Loudoun, which was the 10th, like 10 to go (laughs) in the season. And he finished third that day, racing with Mark Martin and Denny Hamlin. The other cars in the top five were Gibbs and Hendrick entries. So it was Gibbs cars, Hendrick cars. Mark Martin was running the five car for Hendrick. So he was the lone non-Gibbs, non-Hendrick car in the top five. Mm. The next week they go to Dover, second week of the chase. He finished fourth. He went to Kansas the following week. That's a big mile and a half track. He's a road racer. He finished fourth fourth california big two mile track in the chase third he was running really well was juan pablo montoya in the first few races of the chase he was in the top three or four in points i mean he he was clearly like up there and had a chance to kind of really do something special but Mm. in charlotte that is where it all fell apart he was running top five again Caution came out about a third of the way through the race. He got four tires and was back near Mark Martin in the top 15. It was one of those deals where like half the guys stayed out and then the front guys, a lot of them came in, got fuel and tires and came out, but they knew they eventually passed the guys in front of him who stayed out. Anyway, on the restart, he was right behind was Juan Pablo Montoya, Greg Biffle. Greg Biffle spun his tires. Montoya checked up. And Mark Martin ran into Montoya's right rear quarter panel, pushed it out, completely messed up his arrow. He had to come in multiple times to get that fixed. But he was pretty much non-competitive in the race after that. He ended up finishing 35th, four laps down, which, as you can imagine, that doesn't help your championship odds very well. No, not too much. Nope. So he fell back down to sixth in the points, went to Martinsville, went from 21st to third to finish... Top three again. I mean, I'm just telling you, like, in 2009, Juan Pablo Montoya was a top five driver in the sport. He was. His car was good. He was good. He got himself into fifth in the chase. 
Unfortunately, the last four races of the season, it all fell apart for him. 19th at Talladega, 37th at Texas, 8th at Phoenix, which was nice, but 38th at Homestead. He finished 8th overall in the chase. Mm. I mean, I'm just saying, he, he was up there and doing good things. He just caught a string of bad luck at the end. But this was not a situation, I don't think, where we should look at Juan Pablo Montoya as like even a bad NASCAR driver. He didn't have right. the win. He didn't have the wins, right? If you win two or three of those races, then I think we look at him very much differently. But this is a guy running against the Hendricks and the Gibbs in a car that is definitely not on the same level technically as those cars. And he's trying to keep it from wrecking, right? Mm. He's trying to stay in the championship. So fourth, fourth, third, fifth, fourth. Like these are good finishes to try to win a championship. And you're hoping some of those other guys around you just have some bad luck. Maybe you can right. grab a win. He he was doing everything right. I mean, he was running it the way you should have. He was not trying to go crazy. He was not trying to, like, you know, spin guys out. He was trying to be up there and do the best he could. And, and I, do something. I, I mean, he, he had a real shot at winning a championship. I can't believe I'm saying that in 2009. But the flat-out answer is if you go look at those races, he did. It's true. So Very the, true. The idea that he sucked in NASCAR is directly refuted by his performance in 2009, I would say. Also, in 2009, he had one of his first chances to win the Brickyard 400. He was awesome in that car and in that season. He brought a great race car. He was untouchable in that race, way out in front of everyone. I'm talking five seconds ahead of everybody for most of the race. But unfortunately, in the final couple pit stops, I want to say, he sped on pit road and cost himself the race. That's on mm. him, but... Just again, no, like he was winning at the Brickyard in 2009 and easily could see how he won that. He could have won that race. So in 2010, he led over 80 laps in that race, but a bad pit strategy from his crew chief, Brian Patty, they decided to take four tires. They were leading the race when they did this, and it was under caution. Six guys behind him took two tires. And they all came out ahead of him. Mm. So he lost. He went from first to sixth, including his teammate, Jamie McMurray. Jamie McMurray won that race with <laughs> taking Oof. two tires. Yeah, and Brian Patty made the decision to take four. And after the race, he wouldn't speak to the media. His crew chief wouldn't speak to the media. He issued a statement saying it was crew chief error. And I mean, they were just they were just completely distraught over this. But again, Brickyard 400, one of the what used to be crown jewels of NASCAR, I would say. You're right. Uh, he almost he, he was there in 2009 to win it and was there again in 2010. And you can make the case he could have won either of them. It just, it, like I'm saying, people want to pit it as like, well, he wasn't a good NASCAR driver. It's like, no, he was. What do you call it when a, you're, you're the guy who's in charge of your pit crew strategy decides, let's take four tires and your teammate takes two and your teammate wins the race? Does that mean you're a bad driver? No. No. So, I mean, I just trying to, you know, paint the picture of how wrong we've all got it on Juan Pablo Montoya, even in NASCAR. But, you know, we would be remiss if we didn't try to talk about this because we have to. Right. You brought it up, the jet dryer incident. For those who are not aware, that was in the 2012 Daytona 500, which was being run on a Monday due to rain. And yep. with 40 laps to go under caution, if you've never seen this video, go look it up. Juan Pablo Montoya hit the jet dryer. It exploded he was actually, according to his crew, very lucky to escape without dying. They said. I mean, they said he is very lucky he didn't get burned and 
I mean, he talked about it after the race, just like a normal, like, oh, well, you know, this, this and that and the other thing and was very calm about it. But his crew said they looked at it afterwards and said he was very close to having something major bad happen, worse than it did. Fortunately, the people in the jet dryer who were, you know, driving the truck that was pulling it around, they were able to get out mostly unscathed as well. So everyone was okay, but obviously it was a massive fire, tons of jet fuel. It postponed the race for a while. They had to redo the track. And of course, this this video and this photo has been memed to death. It's been laughed at. Juan Pablo Montoya has been laughed at about this. But do you actually know what happened to his car and why that occurred? Did something break in? That would be my guess. Yes, something did break. So his team later established that there was a rear truck arm failure. So the truck arm is a stabilizing bar on the rear end of the car. There's much more technical I could get into, but I'll not bore you with that. But basically what it does is it stabilizes the rear axle. So if one of those breaks, then the rear axle is going to inevitably shift, you know, one way or the other because now it's not being stabilized. And so mm-hmm. whichever side of the car the the truck arm breaks off of, that's the way it's going to turn. So if the one broke on the other side of his car, he would have turned into the infield. It just and it it still would have been wrecked out of the race for no reason under caution, but he wouldn't have hit the jet dryer. But the one that broke was the one that turned him up into the track and up into the wall. And he just so happened to be going by the jet dryer at the time. And that's why he hit the, I mean, it it was, I mean, it's, it's just a freak accident and stupid, right? Like it's not his it's, but it's definitely not something he could control. Everyone who's looked at it agreed. This was not his fault. He had come into the pits to get, I think it was either get something topped off or they had a little damage that they wanted to fix. And so if you've never been to a NASCAR race, like behind the field, once they're following the pace car at the slower speed the guys who need to catch up to the field even though the race is under caution they'll get told by their spotter like hey the track's clear just watch it over here you know you can run up full speed just be careful in turn three that's where they're still doing something they're trying to dry the track off or whatever well there was a uh that was what he was doing so he was running closer to like 180 miles an hour when this thing broke so Jeez. I mean, it, it's he's lucky that he didn't get hurt. The people in the jet dryer are lucky they didn't get hurt. But anyway, this is just a <laughs> it's not a it's not a situation of him losing control of his car because of driver. error. It just something broke in the car and it just unfortunately broke at the dumbest place it possibly could and led to, uh, you know, quite the scene. So. Right. But anyway, that's uh, that's. I, I, that's about it with Juan Pablo's NASCAR career, right? Like, so after 2009, and then we talked about a couple, you know, the the Brickyard 400s and things. Like, he won another race. He won two races in his time. He won at Sears Point and he won at Watkins Glen. Those are two road courses, but he didn't win any oval tracks. So of course that leads to him being labeled like a road course ringer. And mm-hmm. despite what he did in 2009, like I said, it, that should have proved that he was very close. I really think Ganassi um, maybe lost something when the car of tomorrow got redesigned in 2010 because they really weren't the same after that. And I'm not sure why, but they just weren't. But they were much better when it had the weird wing on it and all that other stuff. So maybe it's from his time in IndyCar. Yeah, it could be. Maybe he was a little more used to the big wing. I don't know. But uh, in either case, it was in 2014 where he went back to IndyCar and was done with Chip Ganassi. 
He signed this time, though, with Penske, not with Ganassi, to run IndyCar. And what did he do in 2015? Oh, that's right. He right. won another Indy 500. So I just want to kind of put a cap on this for his career, which is still ongoing, by the way, but not, you he's know. Still, he's still running every weekend, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. But this is a guy who ran the Indy 500 three times and won it twice. That's insane stat. <laughs> that, uh, how does the, that happen? He Right. He didn't run it from 2000. He ran it in 2000. He won. And then he went to Formula One in NASCAR and never ran it. And then he, in 2014, was like, hey, I can run the Indy 500 again. He ran it once, was pretty good in that race. And then 2015, he dominated the race and won it. So, okay. Like... <laughs> Like, what are we doing here? Uh, okay. Like he's one of the greatest I, oval track racers that this sport has ever seen because he won at the biggest and best oval track you can win on, right? Twice in three chances. Right. He is clearly a great road course racer. He had a NASCAR career where he at one time was a competitor to win the championship in one year. I mean, I don't I don't know how we're not talking about this guy as up there with AJ Foyt and any of these other drivers. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have any dirt track experience because that's obviously not what he's really doing. But I I feel like if you threw him in a 410 sprint car and gave him like a year, by the end of it, he'd be winning races in 410 sprint cars. Like he would be beating the best guys at that. He's just, he's a natural driving talent. There's no question about it. Oh yeah, he's one of the, if not the greatest driver I've ever seen. Personally race because I wasn't around back when you had the greats of, uh, you know, from andretti racing to petty racing to graham hill and all the greats and jackie stewart and people like that of over in uh jim clark over in that formula one i wasn't there for that i didn't get to see that so the only thing maybe i could attribute it to now is like scott dixon and what he does in indycar scott yeah. just did it in like one series i mean he's won a rolex 24 as well but i mean he like it's an indycar driver Juan Pablo montoya is like he's like i'm a driver where can I'll I go drive. Fast? Where do you want me to drive? I will drive it and I will drive it fast. You're exactly right. I'll drive fast, and, and I'll I drive think, it well. Yeah. I just think we look at Juan Pablo Montoya's career and we go like, oh yeah, he was he went to F1, but I don't think we truly appreciate how good he was in F1 if you were mm -hmm. not paying attention. And and who can blame you? If you were not into F1 20 years ago, you may not realize how good he was. It's before it, they had this the good song, you know. <laughs> The anthem. The, what? The, anthem. Oh, the, the anthem the anthem makes yeah. a difference you know yeah and it if really you, does right and if you weren't paying attention really in nascar or you know you were paying attention but by the way did anybody else win championships in most of the time that he was in nascar jimmy johnson was winning like everything back then you right. know what i mean like so everything he was he was in quite a bit he was in against one of the greats in nascar but like i said you see how difficult to not to rip Jimmy Johnson or anything. He's a great driver in his own right, but you see how difficult it is for Jimmy Johnson running mm -hmm. sports cars and running IndyCar. It's a totally different thing for him, and he has had a rough adjustment to that. Rough adjustment. Yeah, and he's one of the greatest to ever drive in NASCAR. Juan Pablo Montoya adjusted pretty well to NASCAR and Formula One and IndyCar, and now in sports cars, you can still see him running, like you said. He runs for Meyer Shank Racing, uh, was running uh, for Penske before that in their Acuras, which are now Meyer Shank cars. But that, that dude's a legend, man. So all I will say is this. We do a lot of podcast episodes about drivers who are no longer racing, drivers who are no longer with us. 
We don't like to do a lot of living legend type podcasts because, you know, obviously things change. Yeah, you don't know what's going to happen, right? But I'll tell you this, man. I, I think it'd be stupid for all of us not to go out and watch Juan Pablo Montoya whenever you get a chance. If he's running an 8500, go watch it. If he's running a sports car race that you can get to, go watch it. If he... If you have a chance to go to Lamont and watch him run for Dragon Speed, like just just watch this dude drive a car. He is because yeah. you are seeing one of the greatest to ever. He's special, do. yeah, he truly is. So yeah, he truly is. There you go. the uh, The Juan Pablo Montoya episode, where we tell you how wrong you are about him. The you're wrong about Juan Pablo Montoya episode now is in the books. Do you feel better about Juan Pablo Montoya since we did this? I feel better now that we've had this exercise and we know that he is much more than a guy who hit a jet dryer with his car on a caution lap. He's he's a well-rounded polish, one of the best drivers, if not the top best five drivers in all of motorsports history. Juan Pablo Montoya from Bogota, Colombia. Your guy. My, My guy. Should be all of My, our guys. All of our guys, right? Absolutely. And we forgot to mention this earlier, but uh, happy birthday to Juan Pablo Montoya. The week that this podcast came out, it actually was his birthday. So, uh, yeah, if you get a chance to see him at some point racing in a road racing series near you, of course, we're going to advise you do that because he is one of the best to ever do it. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you thought at Stagger Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We will see you guys with a new episode very soon. Take care. Take care.